So please turn to Matthew 26. There are Bibles. The ushers have Bibles if anyone needs. Matthew 26. Starting in verse 1, we read, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. As we read Matthew 26, let's pay attention to the different reactions, responses, how people react to Jesus, how Jesus has a different impact in the people mentioned here in this chapter. And we see the chief priests, we see the scribes, religious leaders that knew everything that there was to know about the Messiah. Beyond seminary, beyond Bible college, Bible college seminary is something that, that people do for a time, but these religious leaders lived, breathed, they were immersed in the Word of God from childhood. Their holidays had to do with the Word of God. Their schooling had to do with the Word of God. They knew everything there was to know about the Messiah. Yet when the Messiah came and Jesus was here on this earth, what is their reaction? What is their response? We read in uh, John, the Gospel of John, you don't have to turn to it, chapter 11, a little more insight into their motivation, how, how they responded to Jesus. In verse 37, 47, they said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and the nation. And we read in, in, in Matthew, verse 5, chapter 26, that they wanted to kill Jesus not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So we get a little insight. Their motivation, their justification, why, why they wanted to kill Jesus was purely self-motivated. It was their self-preservation and their fear of the people. And that's how Jesus, that's what Jesus was to them, a threat. Jesus was a threat. Reading on in Matthew 26, verse 6, we read, When Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, now we know that he, was, he wasn't a leper at this time because uh, the Jewish people did not um, associate with lepers. Lepers were quarantined way more than COVID. And a woman came, so he was healed. So a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. 
But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might, might have been sold for much and given to the poor. We read in, in the Gospel of John that this woman is Mary of Bethany. So Mary is the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. And scholars believe that Mary was mentioned in, in John because John was written way after Mary passed away. And it's possible that, that she was, wasn't mentioned by name here for a reason, and we don't know exactly why. But we know that it was Mary of Bethany, and she was at the house. And in the Gospel of John, it mentions that she didn't just pour the alabaster on Jesus' head. She also poured it on his feet. And she wiped her hair on Jesus' feet. That alabaster is, is a um, spikenard. And I don't really know what it is, to be honest. But I know that it's very, very expensive. An expensive oil that came from the Himalayas or far away, and that it's sold for a year's salary. And we don't know exactly how much that is in today's currency, but it's somewhere, people say, from 20 to 50,000. Some people say 60. But we just know that it was a lot of money in that one bottle. And that the women usually saved it for, for their wedding. And um, families also saved it sometimes for a burial, for when a family member dies, you know, to put the oil on the body and to embalm, you know, to, to put it all over the body, um, which, which makes me wonder how Lazarus felt when he was raised from the dead and to realize that Mary did not use the oil on him. <laughs> but when she poured that oil, we read in another, uh, in Mark, that not only did she pour the oil, but that she broke the bottle. So think of this. This is her most prized possession. Arguably, it has to be, maybe, most likely, it was her most prized possession to be used for her wedding. We think of brides today, we think of the wedding dress, right? But this, had, this was way more than the wedding dress. This was like the price of the whole wedding and more. A lot of weddings don't even cost this much. And she poured it on Jesus. And she not only poured it, she broke the bottle, which in and of itself was costly. So she gave everything of her most prized possession to Jesus. She did not hold back in any way. She could have saved the bottle and put it somewhere and, and thought, well, this is the bottle of the oil that I poured on Jesus. But she poured it all. And not only did she pour it all, but it was completely 100% for Jesus. She didn't put it on herself. She didn't share it. We read that she poured it on his head. Other gospels mentioned she poured it on his feet. Jesus even mentions that she poured it on his body. So it was all 100% for Jesus. And the disciples, what was their reaction? They were indignant. And we read in John that it wasn't just the disciples but it was motivated by Judas. And it shows you how one person can cause multiple people to start complaining or thinking something that they shouldn't be thinking. And, it, and it's in, in several of the Gospels say 
disciples, plural, but one mentions Judas by name. And why, Judas says, why was this fragrant oil not sold? In John 12, verse 4, he says, why was it not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Something that seems very noble, but then Jesus responds, going back to Matthew verse 11, chapter 26. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You see, Mary of Bethany, her response, her reaction to Jesus was complete love and honor for him, to give him complete glory. That's the impact that Jesus had on her life. And we don't have time to go through all the, the scripture, but if you do... Your, your research, and you look at Mary throughout, Mary of Bethany throughout the, the scriptures, she was always at Jesus' feet. When Jesus came to Lazarus, and Lazarus had been dead four days, Mary is the one that came out, and she fell at Jesus' feet. And she said, Lord, if you only had been here earlier. And not only did she get criticism here, but remember when her sister Martha was, was busy, and she told Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, is, I'm doing all the work. What is she doing? Jesus, tell her to help me. So she was criticized, and that's what happens when we love Jesus, when we pour out 100% of our most precious, valuable thing, whatever it is, whatever it is that we're holding on to, when we surrender, we get criticism. But reading on, but then we see that Jesus responds to that criticism by saying, leave her alone, and also acknowledging that wherever this gospel is preached, what this woman has done would be as a memorial to her. So that's, that's Mary of Bethany. Her response to Jesus was to love him 100%. The religious leaders, their response to Jesus was to kill him. He was in our way. He was a threat to us. Reading on in verse 14, chapter 26, we read, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought an opportunity to betray him. 30 pieces of silver. The cost of a slave, a fraction of what Mary of Bethany poured out for Jesus. That's how Judas valued Jesus. And not only did he value, he didn't even value him for that much, because he wanted the 30 pieces of silver for himself. In Luke chapter 22, verse 3, it says that Satan entered Judas. 
who was numbered among the twelve. Notice how Judas is always mentioned as numbered among the twelve. He was one of the twelve closest to Jesus. And when he went away, it says in Luke 23, verse 3, so he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad. So that shows you how much they hated Jesus, that they were glad that they found somebody to betray him. So moving on in, in chapter 26, verse 17, we see how the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is also the Passover, first the Passover, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was celebrated. And it says in verse 26, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you and eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Verse 19, So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So this man, I don't know who he is. We don't know who he is. We don't know his name. But we know that his reaction, his response to Jesus was that my house belongs to the Lord. And he was willing to give up his house at a time where it was said that Jerusalem was filled, some, some historians say possibly with two million people, and as, if you've been to that Jerusalem, you know how small it is. Imagine in Miami when there's things, you know, crazy things like ultra, you know, that you can't even find a hotel, you can't even find, um, you know, a restaurant or anything, anywhere. This is how it was in Jerusalem, but worse. I mean, there was just, this is it. This one spot was where everybody was coming to celebrate the Passover. But this man gave his house that was his reaction. That was his response to Jesus. Now, the Passover, we know, is when the, the people of Israel remember when God passed over the wrath that was due in Egypt to families. And God had instructed that if you slay a lamb and then you take the blood and place it on your doorpost, then when God comes to your home or the, or, or the angel of death passes by your home, the wrath of God passes by your home, he will pass over because he sees the blood. And we know that that's a shadow of Jesus. At this time in Jerusalem, historians say that about two, 250,000 lambs were sacrificed. 250,000. So Jesus is here at this time, surrounded by all these sacrifices, knowing that that is a shadow of what is to become of him. That is a shadow of him. And not only that, but when we see Jesus walking and when we see times where he's crossing the Kidron Valley, it's said that where the lambs were sacrificed at the temple, there was so much blood that it was flowing down into a creek, and that's where the Kidron Valley was. So imagine Jesus living in all of this, knowing that that blood is going to be my blood, 
And what's happening to that lamb is what's going to happen to me, but much worse. So they're at the Passover, and this is now at the home that, that was provided to them, at the upper room. And we know that the, the sacrificing of the lambs, historians say that only a portion happened at the temple, but others, most of them happened outside of the temple because that's how God originally instructed. And as, as they were here at this house, that's where the lamb was sacrificed. And they're there now partaking of the, of the meal, partaking of the lamb, with that in mind. And that's where Jesus says in verse 20, when evening had come, he sat down with the 12. Now as they were eating, he said, assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Other gospels said one by one, they would say, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it was written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. What a heavy statement to say that it would have been good. It would have been better if you had not been born. And what he's saying is that the destiny of that man, what is to become of that man from his choice, from what he's done, from, from denying, from being apart from Jesus in his heart, completely denying that Jesus is Lord for betraying him, that his destiny would be an eternity separated from God. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? Notice how the other disciples said, Lord. Lord, meaning master, supreme master. But Judas said, Rabbi, which means teacher. He demoted Jesus in his words. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. And so Judas is calling him a rabbi, a teacher, when the other ones are calling him Lord, my master, supreme master. And Jesus said in verse 25, you have said it. So in verse 26, Jesus uh, takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it. Um, you know, we know it as the Lord's Supper. Verse 27, 28, He partakes of the bread, the cup, and he institutes the Lord's Supper, to, uh, uh, what we are to do to, to remember Jesus on earth and what he has done for us. In verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, that hymn, they say during this time, was Psalm 115 through Psalm 118. And, and most likely at the end of the dinner, they were probably eating, I mean, reading Psalm 118. So let's turn to Psalm 118. So imagine the love of Jesus as you're turning. Eating with the disciples, eating with the one that would betray him, knowing that this is a sign of what is to become of me here on earth, that this is the wrath that's going to come upon him. 
And here he's, uh, he's singing these hymns that are pointing to him and pointing to what the Lord is doing. And in Psalm 118, they sing, or they were singing, this is the day, verse 24 of Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, send now prosperity. That word prosperity doesn't mean what we think about always richness, but it means success. Save now, send success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they were proclaiming to Jesus when he came to Jerusalem. Remember when they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now. That's what Hosanna means. So this is the, the verse that they were quoting. And then in verse 26, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Verse 27, God is the Lord and he has given us light. That light is Jesus. Verse 27, the second part, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar. You are my God, I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. This is what Jesus is singing. Buying the sacrifice, knowing that that sacrifice is going to be himself soon. And so when we sing, this is the day that the Lord has made, and, and we sing it, you know, this is the day that the Lord, and, we, and we're like, you know, let us be glad. Jesus is singing, this is the day that the Lord has made, knowing this is the day I'm going to die. This is the day I'm going to sacrifice my life for and take the wrath upon me that is due to every single person. And this is the day that I'm taking upon myself this wrath for these people around me at the table, for everyone, for the whole world. So reading on in verse 20, um, verse 31, then Jesus said to him, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. All of you. He knew that every single one of them was going to be made to stumble. And yet he still loved them. And he still was from the joy set before him about, of the deliverance that he was going to give them. He endured the cross, the Bible says. And then verse 32, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So notice how he says, you will all stumble, but he's already making the plans to bless them after he has been raised. So in verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then Peter doubled down and said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. You see, Jesus had an idea. 
and he knew what was going to happen. But Peter had a different idea and a different thought of what was going to happen. Peter didn't count the cost at this time. The Jewish people believed that Jesus was coming to establish his kingdom on earth. And even though Jesus many times mentioned, my time will come, mentioned that he will be crucified, that the Son of Man will be put to death. He mentioned it many times. But it's amazing to see, thinking of Mary of Bethany, the sensitivity that she had, where she heard and she understood, and she poured out that oil as a sign of his burial, knowing what was going to happen. But then the, the, the disciples, the, those closest to Jesus, were not seeing it completely at this time. So Peter was, was, and all the disciples said, yes, we will die for you, Jesus. And in verse 36, we read on that at that place called Gethsemane, then Jesus came to them to a place called Gethsemane, and that means press, oil press, an awesome place in Israel. It's one of my favorite places when we visited Israel. It means a pressing, and Jesus was pressed like those olives were pressed. Here, while I go and pray, he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Verse 37, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup, that cup represents the wrath. That is the wrath of God. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not as I do, as I will, but as you will. Verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again. So shortly before all this, they were saying, we will die for you. And now they can't even stay awake, for their eyes were heavy. Verse 44, so he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So verse 47, we see that while Jesus is still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders with the people. Now his betrayer had, been given, had given them a sign saying, whoever I kiss, he is the one sees him. That, I mean, that was just the hatred that, that, that Judas had there to plan all this, to come to, to a point where he has to Kiss and be close to Jesus so that the multitude can come and seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, 
And there again he's calling him rabbi, teacher. And he kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And then we read in 51 that suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know that that's Peter from other gospels. And we know again that Peter has a different idea of what is going on. So Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide with me he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that I, that must happen that it must happen thus in that hour Jesus said to the multitudes have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me i sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then we read that, <clears throat> excuse me, that all the disciples forsook him and fled. So again, all of them fled, everyone, in a sense, began to think of themselves, every single one of them. And then we read through Matthew 26, Matthew 26, verse 69 through 75. We know, and this is a very familiar verse for many of us, that Jesus denied, was denied three times by Peter. First he said, I, verse 70, I do not know what you're saying when someone mentioned that he was with Jesus. 72, he says, I do not know the man. 74, he said, he began to curse. So he not only doubled down, but he tripled down. And he began to curse and says, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. And we read in Luke 22, verse 61, that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So we read all this. I, I wanted to get here for, for a purpose. We saw people that have different reactions to Jesus. They had different responses. They had different um, ideas of who Jesus is, of what Jesus was doing, of why Jesus came. And, and Peter had one idea. But Judas had another thought. Now, Judas was personally called by Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. He was given authority to work miracles. That's in Matthew 10, verse 5 through 8. Judas preached the gospel in Matthew 10, verse 5 through 8. He was sent out with the 12 to preach. He was preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 17, it says, for he was numbered with the disciples and obtained a part of the ministry. Judas was considered a trusted friend to Jesus. Please turn to Psalm 41, verse 9. Reads, and this is a verse that Jesus quoted to, to mention Judas. Verse 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, 
has lifted up his heel against me. So Judas was considered a friend to Jesus, or Jesus considered him a friend. Acts 1, you don't have to turn to it, chapter 125 says that he, Judas, turned aside from the ministry and apostleship. He was personally called by Jesus for ministry and apostleship, and he turned aside to go his own place, to his own place. The words that the Bible used to speak of Judas is a thief, a betrayer, a traitor, unclean. And we read that Jesus said that it was better that he not have been born. And he was also called the devil. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. He had no fear of God. Judas was with Jesus three years, hearing Jesus' teaching. How does someone go from that to hearing Jesus' teaching for three years, to being with him, to seeing the miracles firsthand, to eating with Jesus, asking him questions, doing life together for three years? How do you go from that to becoming the betrayer of Jesus? to becoming so overwhelmingly filled with guilt that in the end, he hangs himself and is living an eternity separated from God. Peter also was called by Jesus. Peter was one of the 12 as well. Peter was given authority to work miracles Peter preached the gospel. He shared in the ministry with the other disciples. Both him, both Peter and Judas, both of them had times where they denied Jesus, where they made mistakes, where they spoke out of place, where they regretted what they did to Jesus. Both of them were influenced by Satan at some point. Remember when Jesus called, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And we read that Judas was, was overcome by Satan. Both of them, yet one of them is living an eternity with Jesus, with God, and the other one is living an eternity away from God in hell. One of them died honoring Jesus. We know that Peter died, was, was going to be crucified, and he said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my master. Crucify me upside down. The other one ran off by himself and hung himself and didn't even do it right and died a shameful, tragic, disgusting death. How can that happen to one and not the other? What is the difference? What is the difference? One of them, some people are named Peter, but I don't think anyone here is naming their son Judas. I don't think you would even name your dog Judas. It's such a difference from one to the other. 
You see, when Peter and Jesus met eyes, after, Jesus, as, after Peter had denied him three times, it caused Peter to weep bitterly. It caused him to repent. When Judas met eyes and was seeing Jesus face to face, it caused him to be more hardened. It caused him to continue with his resolve. And he had no place for repentance at that time. We read that Judas in Matthew 27, verse 3, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back 30 pieces of silver. The pieces of silver that were what he thought was the value of Jesus, the price of a slave. And he threw it back and he said, I have sinned, betraying innocent love, uh, blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. You see, the, the very people that were glad when Judas came and said, I'm going to betray Jesus, were the very people that were not with Judas. And that's how the world is with us. They will be happy when you agree with them. The world loves it when you agree with them. The world considers you one of their own. But the minute you disagree, the minute that your heart turns away from hating Jesus to loving Jesus, that's where the world stops. And that's where you see that the world was really not there for you. They were just united with you in a hatred for Jesus. To be remorseful, like Judas was, was not enough. To have guilt for sin is not enough. That doesn't lead to repentance. That doesn't lead to a heart that turns to the Lord. We have many ways that we try to make ourselves feel um, better about our sin. And that's why the world loves drinking. That's why the world loves so many things. Loves the entertainment. Loves because you forget. You forget about where you're at. You forget about what you're doing for a time. But it only comes a time where you come back and you start being tormented with those thoughts. When you suffer depression, anxiety, whatever it is that we're, we're suffering, that we're going through, uh, sexual addiction, uh, any type of addiction, there's no way to solve that on our own unless we can fully come to that point like Mary of Bethany. There's no way to, to be free and to have that peace. All those things are just to cover up that lack of peace. So what is the difference between Peter and Judas? Why, why did one repent and why did the other not repent? Please turn to John, the Gospel of John, verse 21. And we read, this is the third time that Jesus said to him, 
in verse 17, Gospel of John 21, 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter, later on, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes in, the, in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, Whom having not seen, speaking of Jesus, you love. So now you don't see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You see, the difference between Peter and Judas and the religious leaders that sought to kill Jesus and Mary of Bethany, the ones that turned to Jesus, the ones that repented, the ones that had that forgiveness, restoration, the difference is that they loved Jesus Christ. It's simple. That's our walk with the Lord. That is really what it's all about. Do we love Jesus Christ? Do we love him? John 14, Gospel of John 14 says, If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. If we love Jesus, we will keep his commandments. If we love him, we will deny ourselves. If we love him, we will surrender our most valuable possessions, whatever it is, to him. If we love him, no matter what comes our way, if tomorrow someone tells you you've lost the closest person to you, you've lost a loved one, someone tells you you lost your job, someone tells you you have cancer, someone tells you You're no longer going to be able to do the things that you used to be able to do because you have this sickness. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because your most valuable possession, your most valuable item, the thing that you hold on to the most is not in those things. It's not in your job. It's not in your friends. It's not even in those closest to you. But it's Jesus. So as the worship team comes up front, and the pastors, please come up front. It was never too late for Peter. Peter made mistakes. Peter denied Jesus. But Peter was able to be restored. And all he had to do was come to Jesus. When Jesus um, rose again, and we see that Jesus came to the disciples, Peter was always the one running. He was running to Jesus. So as the, the worship team is coming up and the pastors are coming up, I ask you, do you love Jesus? And if you don't love Jesus, it's not too late for you. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what has happened for you to get to this point. It's all wiped away. 
It's not about our works. It's not about what we do. God is calling you. Jesus is calling you. If we've made those mistakes, if we are in a point right now where we have no idea what is up and what is down, it's okay. We can come to Jesus. And if you don't love Jesus, you can ask him. And he will show you who he is. And he will do a work in your heart. So don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Um, as we pray, as we close in prayer, and the worship team um, begins worship, come up front and, and just pour out your heart to, to the pastors here. Surrender. If you don't love Jesus, just say, I don't love Jesus. Help me to love Jesus. It's as simple as that. And the Lord will meet you there. And if you've made the mistakes and you know, like Peter has, had known, that like he should have known better, and you make those mistakes, and you've seen the miracles, you've seen what the Lord has done with your life, you've seen him restore the marriages around you, you've seen him, what he's done to your parents, to yourself, but then you've walked away and then you're just following your own desires, then just turn to him. Turn to him. Surrender. He will meet you there. He became that lamb. He became that sacrifice so that he can wipe away every single thing that you have done. You can start afresh, completely, 100% new from this point forward. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we love you because you first loved us. I thank you, Lord, that it's not because of my works. It's not because of what I have done. But it's because of you. It's because of your mercy, your grace. It's because you took upon yourself on the cross all of the wrath that was due to me. You took it upon yourself, and I accept that. And I thank you for that. So, Lord, as we saw in Mary of Bethany, how she poured her most valuable possession on you out of a love for you. Forgive me for not loving you enough. Forgive me for putting other things in front of you. Forgive me for not seeing you as valuable as you truly are and not fearing you. So, Lord, we pour out right now our hearts to you and everything that we hold dear and we surrender to you. Show us who you are. Help us to love you more, we pray in your name. Amen.